Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers, also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urison. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today has been building different businesses over a decade. He's a seasoned entrepreneur, and um, he's currently an Amazon seller in multiple categories, uh, which include barbecue accessories, home and kitchen, and outdoors. And when he's not working, he does something that everybody wants to do, except he, he has something that most people don't have. He loves traveling. And he loves the perks that he enjoys because his wife works for one of the airlines. So he flies around for next to nothing, I guess. So mm -hmm. with that, uh, it's a nice thing to have on the side when you're not working. So with that, everybody, meet my guest, Matt Atkins. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you so very much, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, you know, it's uh, it's great to have you. I always love talking to sellers because you are on the ground and you know mm. what's going on. You are always in touch. And uh, also, I love people who have a life outside of Amazon. So, and your life outside Amazon is something to envy. So, uh, that's a great thing to have. So, when you and I connected and then we had a discussion about your Amazon operation, uh, something that very quickly stood out that uh, something that you were doing is, is to drive external traffic to your list, uh, listings. So what is yeah. your formula for bringing external traffic? Uh, well, the quick and easy way to say it is leverage. And tell us more. What are you leveraging? Uh, so I leverage particularly other people's audiences uh, to drive traffic to our listings. So other people's audiences, um, so give us a little bit more on who these other people are and how you find them. So I found the first one, kind of stumbled across him from, I was doing uh, back then, you know, about two years ago, doing giveaways in Facebook groups and rebating people. That was the the method of launch at the, at the time. Um, right now it's against code of conduct and all kinds of other things, but um, that's actually how I did it. That was my method of launching was I would approach group members um, that were in the category that I was selling products in. And uh, I, I, I'm sorry, the owners of the group. And I would ask them if I could do a giveaway. And that's kind of how we launched our products back then. Okay. So, uh, and how do you do that now? Uh, since Amazon does not really like, you know, people doing giveaways, but that doesn't mean that you cannot ask people to go to your listing or you can do all those things as long as you're not doing this quid pro quo situation. That's actually what I found when we approached the audience, you know, the conversation with him turned into more than just a giveaway and it, it turned into an actual partnership. So now he's a partner in our business and he brings the audience. We, we furnish the uh, product. We do all the work on the back end. And really, he's just the activator of the audience. And what I learned is that when you have an audience of people that are raving fans in the category that you sell products in, you don't have to do giveaways in order to gain traction for your brand. 
So say that again, when you have an audience that likes your product, and uh, so th that's th that's a, s a specific kind of audience you're referring mm -hmm. to, right? Right. And so, I mean, we actually built the brand in the Facebook group. So the brand didn't exist before, but what is what does exist in that group are a whole bunch of people that are very, very um, interested in the uh, category that we sell products in. And these aren't just your dabbling on the weekend kind of people. These are very, very passionate people in this category. I see. So you are almost making them like spokes. Uh, persons for your brand there's there's so many benefits of this strategy nick when you like when you have an audience like that you so yes we do have kind of ambassadors for the brand and that happened naturally um i didn't go out asking for it you know in in our barbecue accessories brand we have members of that facebook group that are like sponsored pit masters that travel the country and you know they they are in these competitions and you know some of them are pretty well known that are in this group and you know they were naturally using our products at these competitions anyways and you know so like that turned into one of the many benefits of having an audience like this is, you know, we got a lot of user generated content again, that we didn't even ask for. And some of this user generated content are our products being used in these national competitions, which I mean, that's a lot of really cool stuff to be able to show in your listing for sure. And uh, okay. I have so many things that I want to dig into in, 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 in what you just described. First of all, let's, Talk about uh, the technical aspect of this. So when you are driving external traffic from these people, is it a matter of you just giving the link for your listing or are you utilizing the, the attribution tags? So it's evolved over time. Currently, we're using Amazon's attribution. Um, that's what we're seeing work the best. I mean, what works the best bar none is search find buy. Like that was what we used um, and I mean, to be honest, and one of the things that I don't understand about all of these changes that Amazon made with their code of conduct was them calling out specifically search find buy, because in my opinion, search find buy is really just normal buying behavior. I mean, if I were to go on the street and tell someone that I sell products on Amazon and they ask me what I sell, I would tell them what I sell. I would tell them how to search for it. They would go find it and they would buy it. So I don't know another way to do that to someone on the street. So in our group, you know, that's what we were asking. Like back then when it wasn't against code of conduct, we would have them search for a specific keyword. We would have them find it. You know, there were things that we would have them do um, that, you know, we would like to kind of mimic normal buying behavior. So there were kind of things we tested where we had them look at some other listings, not just purchase ours right out of the gate, go into a couple of more, you know, a lot of different things that we kind of tested over the course of the years. But now, since Amazon has removed a lot of those kind of tools from our tool belt, really all we're using for the most part is those attribution links when we send them there. So they land directly on the listing and that way, you know, they make their purchase. Um, how do you balance traffic that comes to your listing, but with not much of an intention to buy, but to more learn about it versus being conversion focused so that sending traffic to your listing more carefully so that you can keep the conversion rate high? So, you know, the beauty, I say beauty, but, you know, 
having an audience like that kind of allowed me kind of created an environment for me to be a little bit lazy. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't really do any sort of innovation on any of the products in that category. Um, they're really a, a whole, they're a lot kind of me too. Now we did launch a better type of a product that was like prevalent on the market, but was because we had a little bit of insider knowledge at what people were using at these barbecue competitions. But, you know, for the most part, you know, I think we didn't really focus on like products that were innovative or, you know, that needed a lot of, um, you know, uh, exp explanation on why. So like when we send people to our product, I think, especially from the group, like they already know us, they know our brand name. Now we've, we've started to kind of build up some brand loyalty, um, specifically in that group, but then, you know, there's some search volume for our brand name now. And that's how I know that there's that halo effect that everybody talks about. And so, you know, there's like, again, another one of the benefits is that people will post in the group about their kind of unboxing experience, which will then get other group members who didn't, maybe didn't see our announcement that then they go. So, you know, those are people that don't even, they're not even using our attribution links because maybe they didn't see that post. So like, that happens naturally. And I mean, you know, our conversion rate is higher than normal because of that. And again, that's another one of the many benefits is that when our audience goes there, whether they heard about it from me or a post in the group or an ad that we run in the group, then, you know, like that, their conversion, their intent to buy that product is a lot higher. And that's really what we focused on more than innovating products. We focused on what are you buying today and how can we put that in front of you at the, the quickest amount of time? I see. So because you have a focused approach to where you use those external uh, traffic links or attribution tags to drive your external traffic, you're not really worried about having a lower conversion because the conversion is higher because the reason why they're seeing it is with the intent to buy something in the first place. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that, you know, that's a big discussion about sending external traffic, depending on how you do it. Like if you're sending Google ad traffic straight to your listing, you know, like that doesn't convert as well as even Amazon right. PPC or, or any other ways. So like most people just know that when they send traffic, it's not going to convert. But for us, it's the opposite. It has the opposite effect. And I think what that does is it kind of raises our overall conversion rate, which then helps us rank and helps us stick to the rank when we, when we do rank on the first page. Yeah, I mean, you created a, a, a great machinery, so to speak, where you are, first of all, you're not paying for ads. These are groups that are passionate about your product and right. you're putting the attribution tags to your listing and then circulating it. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, these are people who want to buy anyway, they are the ones who are coming to your listing. And, uh, and out of those, because of the attribution tags, out of the sales you generate, you are also picking up a referral bonus, right? Yep, that's right. That's absolutely right. So we're getting paid for sending that free traffic to Amazon. <laughs> so for the listener's benefit, for anybody who doesn't know, and, uh, and you are brand registered, right after, even while you're listening, if you are not driving or anything like that, just go to Seller Central, go to Brands, and then sign up for brand referral bonus after mm -hmm. signing up for attribution tags uh, because those two work together. And then once you tag your, once you add those attribution tags to your listing, and then you circulate that outside, whether it's an email or social media or whatever, 
like Matt is doing. Anybody who clicks on it comes, makes a purchase. You pick up a percentage of that as what Amazon calls brand referral bonus. And you'll be able to see that. You'll track how many people coming, how many people clicking on it, and how much money you are making on that traffic. So that's what you're doing. This is a, this is a great operation. So let's now move on to the other thing that you mentioned, user-generated content. Mm -hmm. So what is the best way to, first of all, to encourage people to generate content? What do you do to get them to create content for you? Um, so initially it happened naturally. And again, that wasn't even something that was on my mind as a benefit of this, of this, the way that we were doing it. Um, you know, when we launched, we, you know, we had, we, we made a big deal about the launch and, and actually it, the, it started way before the launch. Like they, the group was actually a part of choosing our first product. So what I think that did, and, you know, I, I don't know that we did it on purpose, but what it did naturally was it made them feel like they were part of something bigger than just being in a Facebook group. So it created more of this passion right out of the gate. So, I mean, you know, we had a couple hundred people lined up to purchase when we launched and it was at full price. I didn't even have to offer a discount. So, and what happened after that, you know, and we, there was about three or four posts over the course of, you know, a couple of weeks before the launch. So we built up a lot of excitement for it, but then, you know, a month passed and people were using their product and we, we actually launched in January, which is probably the worst time to launch um, a, a product on Amazon, let alone one in that specific category. I think December 28th was when Amazon checked in the inventory. So it was a terrible time to launch. But again, we had, you know, a whole bunch of people lined up ready to purchase it. And when they started using it a month or two later, then they started posting the pictures of it, which then started generating even more interest. People were using it. People were calling out the group owner. Um, people were calling, you know, like sending pictures, sending videos of them using it. So then that's when we really started thinking, okay, so they're doing this naturally. So, you know, why don't, let's try to figure out a way to make it happen more. So we have kind of a, a post-purchase thing that we're working on now. So when, when someone purchases, we get him, uh, we have a QR code on an insert card and we're on a box that we send them to a landing page that then tells them about this group. We get them in the group and then we do giveaways. And that's, that's the kind of system that we're building out. So we're going to be doing giveaways on a fairly regular basis that, and part of the entrance, you gain more uh, entrance into the contest by submitting user generated content. So that's the, that's the system that we're building out. So your your package insert you're talking about package insert about inviting them to um, join the group so uh, tell me more about that because uh, this is something i've heard and uh, something i use uh, with my clients so in the package insert you have a card or whatever the case may be and but bottom line there's a qr code and what does the qr code say so the call to action on the QR code is is a warranty. We offer a, a, a warranty on all of our products, um, and that's what that's what it is is to to register for the warranty. 
And so, but there's also typically, and what we've started doing recently, which has upped our conversions a little bit is that we offer something to them. And and, in most of our categories, it works really well for recipes Um, and recipes are super easy for us. We have thousands and thousands of recipes for both of our, the categories that we sell in. So that's kind of what it started out as. Um, And we're kind of playing with it. You know, we're, we're playing around with what the best type of conversion is, but right now it's a warranty plus recipe guide. And for a couple of our products that have a use for, or that can use it, we do a video of how do you get the best use out of the product. So when they register for the warranty, um, that's when you present the recipes or you already disclose that. That's in the insert that says you're going to get registered for warranty and you're going to get recipe. And, um, and one more thing you mentioned. Is, is that yep. how, so how does they, that work? When they register for the warranty, it kicks off an email that has the recipe inside of it. It ha- That email has the recipe inside of it. Um, actually has a link to the recipe that takes them to the website and it, it pixels them. So we get them, we get their content. So because it wasn't my group, I have to, and he didn't, when I met this group owner, he didn't even know what monetizing his audience meant. He had never collected an email address. He had never sold anything. He had never done any of that. So like we have to go back and reverse engineer that stuff. So that's really what this post kind of purchase system is, is getting them on, getting people on our contact list, but then also pushing them to the group because the stronger the group gets, then the stronger, you know, our brand gets also. So, so that's kind of the, the, the genesis of the idea of it, but you know, People, especially now, people are starting to overuse that warranty thing. So you have to you have to give a little bit more of an incentive nowadays than just a, to register warranty. I mean, the amount of people that will register for a warranty isn't very high, anyways, especially with a lower cost item. So, um, so yeah, you've got to incentivize it a little bit more than just a free warranty, is at least in our experience. Yes, uh, I agree. Uh, everybody's offering warranty these days. Uh, so, um, as far as inviting them to join the group so this is not your group but you are just another member in the group but whenever you have a situation uh, whether you want to promote you have a new launch or whatever you, you you are simply posting to that group and saying this is what i have is that the case correct yeah so i the group members know me as the partner that sell that in the brand I'm not a moderator or an admin in the group, um, but, you know, they do know me as friends with the the owner of the group. So, you know, for the most part, he's the one that posts. He gets far more engagement than I do in that group anyways. You know, they they already have that no like and trust factor with him. And I mean, that's really a big part of this is that, you know, if I were to go in there and start promoting my product, even if I had the uh, permission of the group owner, you know, like the, the chances of me having all that much engagement, unless I've been engaged in that group far long before that, you know, it's not, I'm not going to get very much reach if I go in there and just start posting about my products. Like there's, you know, you have to, for him, he gets, you know, hundreds of comments every time, every time he makes a post. So we, that's, you know, that's what we learned early on. So he makes the posts. They know that I'm there. They know that I'm a part of the brand. So like, I'll have them reach out to me if they have a question about a product or they want, wanting to know if you're running a discount. But other than that, he's the one that does the majority of the posting. Okay. Okay. And he's posting, obviously, because he's a partner, he's posting, obviously, your products and you've got Correct. the tags. And then in the package insert, when you offer them to scan the QR code and register the email that invites them to join the group. Correct. So you are expanding the size of the group also. 
Correct. Yep. And that's, we have our own little flywheel happening inside of our group. <laughs> yes. Yes. I can see that. Yeah. It's very nice. So uh, yeah, I mean, this is, what's the size of the group now? Uh, 96,000 members. 96,000 members. Okay. So let's now talk about the stuff that I like talking about numbers. <laughs> so you have 96,000 members. Mm -hmm. This is, as you say, highly en engaged uh, group members. So when you make a posting there, do you know how many people come visit the page? So, I mean, Amazon attribution kind of gets me close, um, but it's not definitely not perfect um, for sure, for certain. Um, and it really depends on it depends on what the the point of the post is. Like what I'm having to teach you, he's not a marketer by trade at all, by any stretch of the imagination. So like, you know, we're working on what him and I are working on are like clear call to actions and hooks on every post and making sure that, you know, there there's they know what to do and where to go and, and what to do when they get there. But for the most part, we typically get, I would say most posts, we get on average about anywhere from 50 to 100 people that go to the listing. Um, you know, we've had to kind of pull back on the frequency of the posts. Um, there was, there were some complaints, you know, like when we started selling it, like he, he went a little bit overboard with his promotion. And at the same time, he was launching a, like a membership club, which I personally didn't understand. Um, you know, when I introduced him to the concept of monetizing his group, he, he ended up going a little bit crazy on, on the other side of that and tried to do now I understood it because, you know, like having monthly recurring revenue with a membership makes a ton of sense, but I don't, I think the execution could have been a lot better. So, you know, at the same time that we were launching products, he was pushing this membership group, which basically made the group. So he was doing giveaways and you could only be a part of those giveaways once the membership was created, if you were a part of that membership. So there started to become a little bit of dissension in the group because of that. People felt like it was being like they had to pay to get the benefits of being in the group. So that was an unfortunate experience that we dealt with. Um, that wasn't part of the script for sure. Um, but yeah, so that kind of lessened the promote the reach of the promotional post, I would say. But still, um, every time he posts, but now we're back in stock and it's the best part of our season right now. We're at the very, very top of it. So we've been out of stock for about a month and a half now with because of some supply chain issues. So we're going to get some actual real numbers of what the kind of landscape of the group looks like today. And then, you know, what the engagement looks like. Because again, you know, the barbecue category pretty much dies in, you know, from December all the way to right now, pretty much this time of year. So. So, okay. So out of, uh, so out of that group, so let's say you get hundred people from that. Do you know how many people end up purchasing? I typically about of those about 40, about 40 to about 40%, between 30 and 40%, the high thirties, low forties percent typically. But again, I don't, I'm not sure that I trust Amazon attribution. And to be honest, like I think that that number is is probably about 15 to 20% too low than than it actually is. Um so that's that's about what the numbers say between 30 and 40%. Okay. I mean that's not bad. So if you are and and I can see why it is best to grow the 
size of the group because the more people you have, the more. Except that when you grow the size, then your you know engagement rate is going to drop because you have less people. You have all kinds of people in the group. Yeah, and that's that's really what my focus is this year. You know, like our focus has changed a little bit. Like I I want I want to foster the group a lot more than is happening right now. Um, you know, I think that ended up being a little bit of a bad taste in everybody's mouth because of that. Some of the moderators ended up leaving. And one of them was one of the guys that created the majority of our content that we like when I wanted to create a demo video, it was him that I would go to. Um, and he was pretty well known in the group. So like what my partner and I have talked about is, you know, we're without those giveaways, uh, not the giveaways, but the contest. So the contest is really that's open to anybody, anyone um, and it's um well actually it's open to anybody that has scanned that qr code but anybody's eligible all they have to do is go out and buy a product and then they're eligible to be in they don't have to be uh in a 10 10 dollar membership to be in that group um so they, they i think they feel better about that um and it's a it's a way to get them involved and excited about the contest so i think we're just going to kind of change up the process of how we do it which i think is going to kind of boost the conversions also yeah so as far as the contest you're talking about, so how does the contest tie into this? So this, this QR code uh, leads them to warranty. They fill out the warranty. They get the email. The email says, join this group. Here is your recipe. You can go download. And where does the contest come in? Um. So the contest, it, we do a monthly contest um, and there's the prizes vary. I mean, a lot of times we'll have like partners, um, but it's typically product um, type stuff or stuff that are similar in the category. Um, I like finding partnerships of things that are kind of consumable type brands, um, you know, like the, especially, you know, there are a lot of uh, the brand owners that have consumable type brands are really keen on giving samples, free samples to people. Um, if they think that it can be a customer that would turn into a long-term customer for them. So that's kind of what we do, but we do, we do a giveaway of X amount of products. Um, and then they gain entries to the contest by doing certain things like sharing it with other people, um, uh, submitting user generated content, things like that. And that system is going to kind of build out and get more robust as we go on. Okay. So, um, Okay, so this contest is nothing to do with the package insert. It's something totally separate that you are running. Uh, in addition, they they get they get notified of the contest and they get their first entrance to the contest by scanning by uh, doing their warranty. So that's how they get that's how they get their first entrance into the contest. I see. So once they are in, then obviously they are getting further notifications as things Correct. happen. Yep. Okay. So let's talk about the user-generated content. So yeah. how do you use it? First of all, let's figure out the mechanics first. How do they submit that to you? Is that simply submitting to the group you pick up from the group or they submit it to you? For the most part. So I now part of my uh, assistance daily and weekly tasks are going into the group. And there's a couple of search terms that we use in the group to see. We search our product to see if anybody's posted, but fairly regularly, we have someone going in the group to make sure that they're capturing all of the images. Um, you know, a couple of people have sent it to me directly, but typically those are people that, you know, like we're creating specific content for. For the most part, the vast majority of it is done in the group right now. So these are the pictures you're talking about because text, Correct. right, you can do yourself. So Okay, so you're picking up the content from the, the, the group itself, and then what do you do with it? 
Uh, so we use it in our uh, in the images. So in the branding on the website, uh, uh, on our website, we also use it in the listing. So, you know, a couple of, so like our lifestyle images, they're not uh, stock photos and, you know, Photoshop, it's actually people that are using our product. So that's for the most part, what our lifestyle images are. Um, a lot of them are in our A plus content and on our storefront. So we use it a lot in our branding. Um, our like video ads for sponsored brand videos, those it's just spliced together user generated content for the most part. Um, it converts better. I mean, I've found that our user generated content converts better than high production value video in a lot of cases. Do you do you have because there's two schools of thought about the video? So if if you are creating a video for your product detail page as your main video. Uh, then that that is best to be produced professional because it's going to be a short video. It's going to make the first impression. And so therefore, using your phone and just shooting a video of your product is not recommended. But that simple video that you make, you, you shoot with your phone is best suited for posting uh, in social media. Uh, would mm. you agree with that? What's your take on that? Um, so the way that we do our most of our videos is there is a production aspect to it. Like it's not just me or any of our customers with their phone and just talking. It's it's spliced together. There's music, there's graphics. So I think that that does give it that kind of higher of a production value uh, kind of feel to it. But it's still an actual person that's using our product that resonates with in a, in a lot of cases, you know, what I love about one of the things in brand analytics is that they're giving you demographics of the people that are buying your products. And I already knew it. I didn't have to see those demographics to, to know it, but you know, I know who our avatar is. I know who our customer is. So like, I know that I can pick people out of the group who are submitting pictures that look like the people that I know are buying our products for the most part. So you know, like that's, that's typically what we, there's, there's a certain feel you can tell in our branding um, that, you know, we, we speak to that avatar in a good chunk of the uh, creative that we put out. Cool. So what I'm hearing is you can use those self-made videos, but um, turn them into a production by editing in a professional way. And then maybe piecing together with other stuff. So that way it has that authenticity. That's what yeah, I Yeah, that's it is. Yeah, that's what we do. I mean, we have I would say that we have more we have easier access to user generated content than most sellers. Now, what I would say is that we've been successful with it. So I would say as, you know, like a, a tip is, you know, there are a lot matter of fact, I just talked to a, a service provider just an hour ago that that's what they do. They they have a list of not even influencers, they're just content creators that are making these kind of TikTok style, you know, vertical videos and like we have found they do very well. Now, I am a big fan of High production value video. I work for a service provider in this space and, and that's one of our specialties. So, you know, I do know that high product, there is a time and a place for high production value video for us because I have user generated content kind of throughout my listing. I think it is kind of really part of our brand. Um, and, you know, I, I just think that it, it kind of works for how we've built the brand to begin with. And, it, you know, we're actually going to put something in the brand story that really talks about how 
what really kind of we feel separates us as a brand is the uh, super passionate group of you know followers of our brand that really make up who we are. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is first of all these days buying decisions are being made based on pictures and videos. So when you make them as authentic as you can, then what you are doing is you're providing a way for the shopper to see themselves in that picture or in that video using your product. Absolutely. So it's putting a picture. It's much better than, you know, reading bullets or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So, so you mentioned that you launched in December. So this was a barbecue product. Mm -hmm. So can you share with us? So when you launched, did you use PPC or did you solely rely on external? I did both. Um, I think PPC is necessary. I mean, you know, the first, if you look at any search results on Amazon right now, the, the, the first almost hundred percent of above the fold is our ads. So, you know, even if, even if you have a strong brand name that people are searching for, you know, there's this argument about not bidding on your branded terms, but like, I mean, if you're not, your competitors are, and they're going to show up before your organic listings. So like, I, I think PPC is at a launch. Now I do run very targeted PPC. I don't do any auto campaigns. I don't do any phrase or broad match. I only do very specific keywords in single keyword exact match form. Um, that's, you know, that's, that is the type of launch. And, you know, back when we could do search find buy, I would also kind of rotate through those keywords that I would have people search for. Um, can't do that now, but you know, people, but I, I don't think that it's underhanded how I do this, but like, I actually refer to our product in a way that I want them to search for. So like if I, for example, want them to search for a uh, green marker, because that's the keyword that I want them to use. That's how I refer to our product in, in a lot of those posts around that time. So people do it naturally anyways. Mm. Well, that's great. So um, tell me, uh, Matt, so you built this account, you, you built other businesses. So you know what it's like to build a business, to build an Amazon operation that will scale. Um, describe the best type of team in terms of roles, responsibilities, those who are listening or looking to create an operation, not necessarily just to sell online, but also companies that uh, have supply chains, they want to go uh, direct to consumer through Amazon. Um, what is the best way to create a team? What are some roles, responsibilities? Uh, tell us uh, how you are structured. Uh, yeah, so sure. Uh, the first year and a half, it was a super lean operation. It was me. And, you know, I hired some VAs here and there and had some, had some pitfalls doing that and then had some, finally some successes. But for now, I kind of break out our business into a couple of different uh, buckets or pillars. Um, so you have, you know, advertising, obviously, and, and that for us includes both external and PPC. Uh, we treat them different, but it's part of the same conversation. Um, and then we have, I guess you can call it kind of conversion rate optimization, I guess. And that kind of falls, there's a lot of things that fall into that. Um, you know, there's creative in terms of like uh, photos and images and our images and uh, video. 
Um, there's, you know, like uh, copy, uh, there's split testing the titles and split testing the A plus content and all that stuff that falls in that category. So I would call it, I guess, conversion rate optimization is kind of a, a pillar or a bucket of ours. Um, and then, you know, supply chain, uh, dealing with uh, shipping, getting things from wherever our suppliers are, finding new suppliers, uh, strengthening those relationships. I don't think that sellers spend enough time on that. You know, I think people talk about optimizing PPC and optimizing listings, but, you know, I think optimizing your supply chain is something that could pay even more dividends. Um, so that's another kind of thing for us is supply chain and making sure that we're getting the best prices across the board. Um, and then, you know, I would say product research is kind of its own bucket. Also, I would add like making, you know, a little bit of customer service in there, making sure that, you know, there's not something wrong with the current design or the box or, you know, that physical experience that the customer has. Um, and then I think even customer service can kind of be added into that bucket and maybe just general kind of seller central type stuff like catalog maintenance, um, you know, make responding to negative reviews. If you have them, just kind of that unsexy stuff, um, I guess you could call it. Um, that's kind of its own little bucket also. So I, I guess operations, you could kind of call that. Um, so I, I think that's that's kind of the most part. So like I would say advertising, uh, conversion rate optimization, supply chain, product research, and then kind of operations. How about the financials? Hmm. Thankfully, I don't have to do that part in our business. My business partner, who's not the group owner, that's her uh, superpower. So I, that's why I forgot to say that. But yes. She handles all the financials and thankfully I don't have to worry about that. I just have to, she just holds me to a, an advertising budget is the only thing that I have to worry about. <laughs> yeah. So the supply chain optimization. So uh, tell me more about that. What do you mean by that? Oh, so now there are service providers that, and that's kind of where I learned. I met one um, at a couple of Prosper shows ago, and it was fascinating to me what their company did. Like, I think their tagline is they'll take your, your concept from the back of a napkin all the way to store shelves. And that's part of the services that they offer is that they're constantly, you know, negotiating with manufacturers and not just like, you know, there, we have a product that there's multiple different pieces to it. So you have to get those pieces for multiple manufacturers. So not only, you know, just like our products that are just kind of one altogether piece, but also ones that have multiple pieces, there's constant negotiations happening there's And then from a, you know, a transportation standpoint, you know, like, I, I think what I found a lot of sellers do is that they find one freight forwarder and they use that. Like, I, I think most people are getting other quotes, but, you know, I think that if you go a little bit deeper into that, like what, when we really ran a test on all the different transportation options that we had, we found that our sourcing agent actually had the best prices for shipping. And that wasn't even something that we had had a conversation with him about. It was just a random conversation that he mentioned something and I dug in a little bit deeper. And now our sourcing agent is the one that is, handles the majority of our transportation out of China. So, you know, having those conversations regularly with your suppliers and, um, you know, logistics and how you get product here, I think that's super important. I don't think that you should just get comfortable with your supplier or any anything having to do with your supply chain. I think that you should always be looking out for better prices. Yeah. Oh, I mean, uh, always because that's taking the, the big chunk out of your sale, right? So it's the cost mm -hmm. of merchandise. So if you improve it, the other interesting thing uh, that's now becoming more of an issue is 
your product packaging. In other words, as you know, Amazon changes the rules. They recently decided to drop their FBA fees for some, as you know. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, but also at the same time, the way they calculate, you know, the small standard, large standard, oversize, and all that stuff. There are small differences that may make big difference, like qualifying your package instead of oversize, large standard, or instead of the things like that. So, do you? work on that at all in terms of while well, during the designing uh, phase of the product do you take fba into account or not yeah so we actually just recently had an opportunity now for the most part our sourcing agent has been the one to suggest the packaging for us um, that's not always something that we just take the standard packaging that the supplier offers um, so it is something that we have been doing for a while but I was just listening not too long ago to something that um, I think it was Brandon Young that was talking about that they, when it was something to, I think it was when they made those changes to the measurements of like the small and light program or whatever the changes were that they made, he found that he could take one of his products and change the the format, I think, of the way that it was packaged. And it then qualified for that program, which was a huge savings for that for that particular product. So using that um, example that he gave, we were actually able, I, I'm also a coach in uh, a coaching program, and we were actually able to do that same exact thing for one of our students who was just getting ready to launch. And it, it cut the size of his product. We just folded it um, inside of the box instead of have it out flat. And that was a significant difference to the FBA fee that he was going to pay initially. So so yeah, it is definitely something that we do. It, our sourcing agent, thankfully, was doing that for us without us even knowing it. Um, but now it's something that we are are very cognizant of um, in that part of the process. Yeah, I mean, because packaging is everything and you have to deal with it at the design uh, stage mm -hmm. because if you, once it's done, it's too late. But those yep. differences, you know, make a big difference because even though the FBA fee is a relatively small fee, um, because it's small, the percentages are greater because, you know, the yeah. 40 cent difference, 50 cent difference yeah. uh, over uh, a $5, you know, fee, Right. that's a, that's a big percentage wise. It's a big right. change. And you're right. selling so many units, it, it adds up. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that definitely uh, packaging is becoming, I had a guest earlier and he was, his philosophy was until now, since the e-commerce shift happened, most brand owners focus on their digital assets, the pictures, mm -hmm. the videos of the products, because that's what makes the sale. Right. However, if you look at the traditional brands that didn't sell online, but they were brick and mortar uh, mm -hmm. channel brands, they relied on their packaging. So mm -hmm. the packaging had to be real good yeah. uh, in order to sell the product. So, so now he was saying that there's going to be a shift because those brands that are scaling they are going to have to make their packaging much better because right now they don't have to pay much attention to their packaging. Mm -hmm. so yeah. 
They want to make it as affordable as possible for transportation yeah. purposes, and then just emphasize the pictures of the product itself. Yeah. So he was yeah. saying that there's going to be a shift in this, and then when that shift occurs, again, the fees will have to, I should say, the costs will have to go up because now they have to make their packaging better, especially if you are selling both online as well as in big box retailers, right? Yep, that's true. What do you think about that idea? Uh, you know, for me, I think uh, custom, I've been a stickler for the customer experience from the very beginning. I think that goes back to my days of our, our first business, our meal delivery service. Um, that was super important to me. Like I, you know, there were a couple, I could have, I could have delivered food to people in a plastic bag, but like that experience was, was part of it for me. So I think that I've carried that over into our Amazon products from the very beginning. Um, you know, and, and actually in a couple of the categories of our products, it's inundated with Chinese sellers. And, you know, I know that's the same story that everybody's singing, but for me, and I don't know if this is the case with a lot of other categories, but where I can be those Chinese sellers is in branding um, and like in my images and in my copy. And really for, I have a really, really cool box for our hero product. And I started including it in our main image to kind of, uh, you know, it's a, it's a real boring photo or product to photograph. Um, it's really even difficult to even tell what it does when it's just the product itself. So putting the box at the back, especially because it's such a cool box, um, that really made it stand out. And actually it, it was a scroll stopper. And that's really what, um, you know, I think, I think that really kind of started that planted that seed for me is that what we're doing in terms of packaging and that customer experience has been right all along. And I think that's something that people should be focusing on. It's super easy to just let your supplier to send it in a poly bag. But, you know, I think, I think, I was actually just reading an article about, it wasn't an Amazon brand or an Amazon native brand. It was a brand that, you know, a, a direct to consumer and the CEO actually makes it a regular practice. Um, I think it was monthly to order the product from different channels to see how it arrives to him and he acts on it when he doesn't like it. So for me, I think that's a super important part of the equation. And I think it's something that you should be doing from the beginning is worrying about what that customer experience is like. Well, I mean, especially if you want repeat customers. I mean, if you, you can, you can, you can give off an aura of, uh, of a premium brand just by paying attention to those types of things, which yeah. then you can command a higher price point. Sure. Exactly. And you know, there's one story that I heard, uh, somebody who was extremely uh, particular about this was Steve jobs. And apparently mm. when they were in the process of creating that iPhone, the first iPhone, the, that glass was so important and he gave hell to so many times to every time they tried and then he would do all kinds of things with it like try to smash it and and he wouldn't want even a scratch on it so uh, it was just going through over and over and over just to get the right kind of quality and and as a result uh, i mean you know he was already a a major, major, right. you know, detail. Apple, Apple by far is the best example of that. I mean, when you open up your new, any, doesn't matter what it is. I mean, I, my headphones 
that I just won at the Prosper Show. Like it's an experience opening up your Apple product. And like it's 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 part of the excitement. It's why people wait in line for overnight to get the the new iPhone when it comes out still after however long it's been. Has it been 20 years now? Like it's that's it's that's a, a great example. Like and it's probably the best example of a brand that pays attention to the customer experience. And we all see what the result of, of that is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's, you know, and, and the other funny thing is these days, there isn't really much that comes out of the box, especially Apple. Like mm -hmm. there isn't a lot of things, but the, the design of it, the quality yeah. of the material, and when you open it up and it's so, uh, some things are so subtle and then you start to see mm -hmm. as yet there is nothing much in it really it's yeah. uh, because everything you go online there's no real manual mm -hmm. there's no nothing and yeah. so it's, it's a very sophisticated way to design and and provide it so it makes a statement yeah. Yeah. so i have a question for you matt as the final question on the business side um, if you could change one thing in Amazon policies for third-party sellers, what do you think that would be? Oh, man. Um, oh, gosh. There's just so many. Um, you don't like the most? I, you know, I, I, I think that there's a big giant case for this antitrust thing that that is going on behind the scenes with Amazon now. Like if you, you can just go look at the search results page of any category that Amazon sells their product and just look at the real estate that they give their own products on that page, regardless of if that product is better than the ones that would normally be there. Like that in and of itself is enough proof but i mean and then you know like the other things that they do like you know we can't amazon has to be a certain price if we sell on other channels like you know the the fact that they get into uh you know those types or make those types of rules these sweeping rules that either don't make any sense or are unenforceable which you know if a rule is unenforceable then what's the point of it being a rule in the first place um you know i, th I think that's probably it is you know the 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 weird rules and weird regulations that they have on us as sellers. Um, man, that, that wasn't very specific, but there's, like I said, there's so many. Um, well, I mean, the definition of weird, obviously, is different for everybody. Uh, but yeah. I can tell you, I'm going to make a prediction. It will be not too far from now that Amazon will get out of their own brand products. Mm. Because there's several reasons. First of all, the perception is really bad. I mean, look, yeah. you know, this is their, we understand this is their backyard. We understand mm -hmm. that. But you are also playing in the same backyard. Right. You know, if you want to let other people come in and play, well, at least be equal with them. Well, you're sure. definitely right. not being equal, number one. Right. Uh, number, number two reason is they have all the data. Mm -hmm. So... You know, they know exactly what you are selling, how much you're selling, and they know, and they can also twist your arms to figure out your cost and everything else and who yep. you're buying from because they have to verify. So, mm -hmm. you know, send us your supplier, invoice, blah, blah, so all this stuff. So they have all the data. To take all the data and then create a product against the mm -hmm. very people that pay you 15% on every piece they sell, 
it mm -hmm. does not look good. And the third, which ultimately will push them, I believe, over the edge, is the Congress is on their tail. Yeah. And yep. they say, you know, I'm, you know, how so they are trying very hard to make sure that they are being fair and everybody is equal and, and all that stuff. So and, and plus, I don't know if this is right, but I heard from somebody that it was never Jeff Bezos original intention to actually create their own brands. It was. I can't imagine that it was. Yeah, I can't imagine yeah. that it was. So, it's super shady. It's it's it, it at nothing else. Like you said, it looks bad, and that should be enough. That perception alone should be enough. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. But you know, people need a little bit of an incentive finally mm -hmm. to to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, so the Congress may be the thing. Um, I don't know, and and frankly, it makes no sense at this point in time. They've turned their distribution centers into a profit center mm -hmm. instead of being a cost center. Yeah. And they have the advertising engine. There mm -hmm. is definitely pay for play yeah. going on. You know, without PPC, how are you going to launch something? How are you going to rank? Mm -hmm. Everything mm -hmm. is getting better. I don't see the reason for, forget about Amazon, any company, they have all these mousetraps, not to mention the uh, the cloud services mm -hmm. yeah. uh, to then say, okay, I think we've got all this great stuff that can scale and all making money. And I think we're going to go and buy inventory and carry in stock for God knows. What. It doesn't make any sense. No, it, it, to me, it seems like a distraction for them, like their time. Like I have to do that, that, that kind of litmus test with everything that I do. Like, is this the best way for me to be spending my time right now? And I can guarantee you that that, what you just described is not the best way for anybody at Amazon to be spending their time. Uh, anybody, especially if you have the entire machinery in place. Yeah. So Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself now. So uh, let's start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? And share with us your childhood experiences. Yeah. So I grew up in Denver, Colorado. I was born and raised in Denver. Um, stayed there. I have a brother and a sister, an older sister and a younger brother. Um, we lived there in Denver. Um, I moved away from home when I was about 15, 16 years old. Um, moved out to California, graduated from high school there. Um, ended up a couple of different places, but soon after that, um, came back home to Colorado and started having kids really super early. Um, we had our first, when I was in between, uh, almost 19 years old is when we had our first kid, which means now, you know, like we're, uh, we are three days away from our youngest being 18 years old. So a big part of my adult life was kids up until, I mean, still now, obviously they're a big part of my life still, even as grown adults, but yeah. So, I mean, after high school, um, it was really kids. Uh, I got a job early on in the IT field. Um, this was back, you know, before the year Y2K when everybody thought the computers were going to die. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so, you know, I was in IT for many, many years. I kind of worked my way up. Um, you know, I didn't go to college like all of my friends did because I was, you know, raising kids already that age. Um, but yeah, so I kind of worked my way through the IT um, uh, industry by just kind of hustling and, you know, job working and learning and working and learning. And then uh, ended up getting laid off on a day before my wedding when we were promised that we were going to get promoted and be able to work remote. And we were part of a big project that saved the company millions. 
Um, so then that was the end of my working career, which was about 10 years ago when we started our first business. Um, my life changed pretty drastically then when we started our business. I mean, you know, that business was a lot of energy. It was a lot of time and resources and blood, sweat, and tears. Um, did that for about five or six years uh, and then started selling on Amazon. And then, you know, the trajectory of my career changed pretty significantly when I found Amazon and I've been entrenched ever since. Oh, that's uh, so one day before your wedding, you get, you lose your job. Yep. And it was a buddy of mine. Job. It was a buddy of mine. And he was the one that told us that we were going to be part of the team that managed the project once we finished saving the company lots of money. And your, your buddy ended up, you know, letting you go. Yep. And well, he, he had to stay. tell us that. What's that? You didn't stay your buddy after that, I bet. No, nope. nope. he's not my buddy anymore. <laughs> he's still alive? You know what? And actually, now that you're saying that, this isn't something that I've ever thought about until this very moment. But to be honest, I should be thanking him because there's a solid chance that I would still be handcuffed to a cubicle inside of a server room right now had I not been forced to make that leap. Yeah. You know, there is an old saying. A bad landlord makes you a homeowner. Mm. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. You song. heard that before? I have not, but it's great. And that's actually, it fits this very well. <laughs> yeah, this is exactly what it is. But what I'm interested in the most is, as a kid growing up, were you into like buying, selling stuff, making money stuff or, or not? Um, no, I wasn't. I wasn't the typical kind of, you know, entrepreneur when I had diapers on, um, you know, I had a lot of good ideas um, as I was kind of working through my career. But no, I mean, you know, I was just a, a normal kid. I played sports. Uh, it's my favorite baseball team right here. I played a lot of sports when I was a kid, but that was pretty much more my life, pretty much all the way up until high school. Um, I played sports and then I got injured and had kids. So that kind of changed things a little bit, but yeah, I was way more of an athlete than an entrepreneur while I was a kid. So, but you are an entrepreneur now. I mean, entrepreneur means uh, idea person, creative person, yeah. risk taker. So have you, were those characteristics of you anywhere? Yes. Did they ever show up? Yeah. So I had lots of great business ideas. Um, and actually I still have a couple that I came up with many years ago that I think would still be viable businesses. Um, but, you know, for me at the time, I, I just, I didn't have the resources and, you know, I was, I was handcuffed to a paycheck at the time and I had kids, you know, like I had, you know, I had to have a paycheck. I had to have the benefits. I had to have all of those things. And for me, I kind of had to bootstrap my career, just like I had to bootstrap my businesses. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't like most of the jobs that I was applying for back then when I was just fresh out of my career, you had to have a degree for. So like I had to go out and get the experience um, before then. So like I, I really couldn't ever, I really couldn't ever act on any of the ideas that I had. Um, so it was really, it wasn't until I was forced into it. And actually the business that we started, that meal delivery service, you know, I had had the idea for that business for over a year before we were forced into starting it. So well, you know, it's it's funny how in life it's, you become for right reason, wrong reason. You, you have you establish a certain lifestyle, certain routines, certain mm -hmm. habits. You know, out of obligations most mm -hmm. of the times. 
Yep. And then one day the life hits you and then you have to be out of your comfort zone trying other things. And then some of those things actually work out. And then you kind of ask yourself, why did I have to wait to do this? Yeah, <laughs> I could have done oh, this I earlier. <laughs> I so I so wish I had acted on one of those other businesses. And you know, for me, it's kind of changed the way that I parent my kids. You know, now that I've like I've been an entrepreneur for a decade now, and my oldest is 27, 20, almost 28. So like I had a you know a good number of years when they were kind of older teenagers. Like, you know, I one of my six kids, I we have six kids, our youngest is 18. One of them went to a traditional college and I'm not embarrassed to say that. Like all of my kids are great. They're doing really, really amazing things. And, you know, it's, it's, it had nothing to do with the education that they got. Like one of them traveled the world instead. Like to me, that is like, that is a, a phenomenal education. And I think she got more out of that eight months that she spent in India than she would have in six years of college. You know what I mean? I think she, I think she got more value out of that. So like that. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I totally agree. You know, I, I uh, was watching a movie the other day and there was a line in the movie which really uh, is something to think about. Uh, so it's this couple, you know, used to be married, now they are divorced. But what happened when they were married, um, the reason why they ended up getting married was they were somewhere on the spot and uh, some lake and yeah, he says, you know, one day I'm going to be able to come here and build a house. Mm. And it's going to be so nice to be able to live here. And she says, why wait mm. to enjoy the best until later? That's powerful. So... He drops everything, buys the land, builds a house. Mm. And they were so happy building the house because it was the, the, that dream. And yeah. um, why save the best until later? Do it mm. now. And then uh, three weeks after the house was built, they were divorced. Mm. Because now there was nothing left <laughs> So, so uh, but the point is, yeah, that line itself mm -hmm. is a powerful line. Why yeah. save the best until later? Mm -hmm. So, you you've done everything, being an Amazon seller, all because something bad happened. Mm -hmm. But clearly, if you were able to do it now, you could have done it before. So this is not about, uh, you know, regret. This is about the fact that those, anybody listening, anybody who is thinking, you know, I can't do this, I can't do that, I have this, I have that. Well, yes, you can. You know, mm -hmm. it's just we are our worst obstacle in life, right? That's true. So, That's true. So <laughs> if you can make it, you can make it anytime, no matter mm -hmm. what the circumstances. This was great, Matt. So, Tell us, how can people reach you and, uh, you know, uh, have anything that you may want to help them with or for any reason, share your contact information with us. 
Yeah. So uh, page one, that's the agency that I work for. Um, so page one, the website page dot one, um, you can find contact info for me there, but also I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, that's where I probably post the most. And then to get a glimpse inside of kind of a peek behind the curtain of what uh, you know, traveling, you, you, we talked about traveling and, you know, running an e-commerce business from airplanes and clubs inside of airports, uh, Instagram, Matt Atkins, um, on Instagram is, is my name there. So do you want to, uh, invite anybody to join your Facebook group? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I'll, I'll put they find it. Yeah. Uh, so the, the name of the group is the art of smoke and grill. Um, and you just go into, uh, Facebook and type that into the group or type that into the search bar and you'll find it. Oh, great. So for anybody who is into barbecue, just go visit on Facebook, The mm -hmm. Art of Smoke and Grill. Yep. So uh, thank you, Matt. This was great conversation. And uh, I, my hat is off to you for your success. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure you will do better and better. Thank you for being thank here. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Nick. I appreciate it. Thank you. And this brings us to the end of another episode. And I'll see you on the next one. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the episode. And share it with someone you think would benefit from it too.